0: Uh, We do. We have a lot of things that are starting back up this week, a lot to be excited about as our midweek resumes. And I just encourage you to come out. We'll have a meal together from five to six, and then we'll spend some time in worship together and in the Word together and just a great way to gather uh, in the middle of our week and to be reminded of what God is doing and Ladies, the Women's Bible Study is picking back up, um, and I just want to encourage you, if you've taken a break from that or you're just looking for a way to get plugged in here, that's a great way to get to know some other people. And kind of on that note, too, coming up January 31st, we're having another Girls' Night Out, which will just be a chance to connect with ladies of all ages. You'll get to learn how to do some hand lettering and create a gratitude journal, uh, just a fun way to connect. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, And then I just wanted to to bring to your attention, some of you have been asking about this, you may have seen it in your bulletin that we have uh, coming up at the end of this month, January 26th, a night uh, that is called Hope in the Night. And what this is, is just to give you a little bit more context, um, is an event that is a multi-church conversation around mental health. We are partnering with several churches in the Auburn area, um, as we've just seen that this is a conversation that is so prevalent in our community, within our churches people struggling with this, and it's often a conversation that many people uh, don't want to have in the church. They're a little weary to to bring out, or they're wrestling with things, and so we're not going to solve everything. That's not the promise of this night, but it is a a promise of a conversation. We're going to hear from some medical professionals around mental health issues. We're going to hear some stories of one pastor in the area who's been walking alongside family members dealing with mental health. We'll also hear from someone firsthand in their experience, and there'll be a number of resources that will be made available that night to kind of point in the direction of where we can begin to find some hope and healing. And so um, I I put that out there because if that's you, if that's something that you have silently suffered with and you feel very alone in that, this would be a great place for you to come. If you've been watching someone who's been dealing with mental health issues and you're not sure how to do this or come alongside them, this is also a great night for you to come and and participate in the conversation. But uh, the reality is everyone one of us is walking alongside somebody who's who's wrestling with this, and so I just encourage you. It's January twenty sixth, six p.m. It's going to be down at our South Campus um, again. Just a good conversation for us to to begin uh, as a church family. Uh, well, let me uh, let me pray for us, and then we will we'll jump into our study this morning. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord, and we thank you for. Uh, another new year. Um, God, as we step into uh, a season where there are new expectations, new hopes, new desires, um, God, new beginnings in many ways, um, Father, would that not be something that we do apart from you, but that we would uh, keep you at the center of all of that, that our uh, desire for change would be brought about by you, God, and that it would be focused on you. Lord, as we, uh, we bring our desires, our needs before you, uh, would we also recognize the many gifts and ways that you have provided for us. Um, and God, I pray that as, uh, as individuals and as a community that we would just continue to grow in our love for you over the course of this next year, that we would grow in love for you and in turn grow in love for those around us, Father, uh, that you would give us patience and that we would be uh, people that walk justly and mercifully and kindly and humbly before you uh, as we keep our eyes fixed upon you. We love you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, many years ago, I was at a, a pastor's conference um, when somebody said some words that really kind of get got everybody's attention. Uh, there was an announcement that was made, and they said there's going to be some free books in the back. Now... That may not mean anything to you, but if you get a group of pastors together and you offer them free resources, you will have all of their attention immediately. So much so that everyone started packing up their stuff, not even paying attention to the person who was talking because they wanted to be first in line. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, as I sat there judging everyone who was grabbing all their (laughs) stuff... They then said that a very prominent publishing company was going to be giving out a free Bible. Now, again, it's a pastor's conference, and you would think they probably already have a Bible. And yet, everybody perked up because a free Bible, you can never have enough. And usually, the stack of your Bibles shows how spiritual you are. And so, everybody got excited by this because it was a new translation, and they were offering it in various colors and covers. And, and again, everybody who wasn't already sitting there was now in line. And I just felt this judgment rise in me as I was like, I can't believe these people because I was not one of them because I was already in line and I was not worried (laughs) about getting anything, right? But as I looked at this line, I noticed something was happening inside of me is that I began to get worried that they were going to run out. That I was going to get to the front and I was not going to get that thing that was given to me freely that wasn't mine to begin with. But it was owed to me at this point. And I began to get a little frustrated by all these other people who were crowding around me. And and moments like this always seem to bring out and kind of highlight and focus this disease that finds its way in my heart. It's a disease that often can be overlooked, undetected. We, we feel its presence from time to time, but if we don't deal with it, it can quietly kill us. See, from the very first whisper of the snake in the garden, we have felt this disease and the lie that there, there isn't enough for everyone, that God is holding out on us, and that we are missing out. Whether it's the the dissatisfaction that you see of gifts that were given at Christmas already discarded or, or maybe it's that sense or that moment when you finally get the phone that you've always wanted and then you find out they're releasing a new model that's better and faster and you immediately feel like this is trash in your hands. Or maybe it's that feeling you have as you scroll through the endless stream of pictures of all the people celebrating their New Year's in some spectacular fashion while you sit on your couch trying to pretend and tell your kids that really it is midnight, but it's only 9 o'clock, and you're celebrating the eastern seacoast because it's just easier to get everyone in bed. And it's not that glamorous, but you're still celebrating as you watch everybody else do something much more amazing. Or maybe you've already walked in here this morning in this nagging feeling that you have that it's January 5th and all the resolutions you'd set out to keep, you've already broken and it's only five days into the new year. See, there's something deep in us that, that pulls at us. It, it convinces us that, that we're, we're missing out on what everyone else has experienced or that God is holding out on us or that we'll never live a life that God is truly pleased with. And so usually our method, our means is just to try harder. We make more resolutions, we make more things, we set more appointments, we try to keep this image or we try to keep up with those around us and we soon discover that in order to keep up with those around us, it really is a full-time job and actually sometimes it requires more than one full-time job because in order to keep up with those around you, you need more stuff and more things and you find this endless array of efforts that goes towards nothing because enough is never enough. And you can begin to take stock and look around and you begin to wonder, am I missing it? Is there something that I'm not experiencing or allowing to shape who I am? Is there more than what is in front of me? When will enough be enough? Does each year just continually bleed into the next, looking the same and coming faster and faster until we get to the end? And if you've ever had any one of those feelings, that sense of dissatisfaction, then let me just say to you before we begin, Happy New Year. Welcome to Crossroads Church. So, let me also say you're, you're in the right place. Because this morning, we're going to step back into our study of the book of Exodus And we're going to look at at three stories in succession. We're going to take a pretty large chunk this morning because there's a theme that's woven throughout each of these stories that deals with this idea of enough. And they they point us to the one who is enough. But before we take a minute to catch ourselves up, or if you have been uh, when we began this in September, let's just remember and remind ourselves of where we left off. When we last left the Israelites, they were celebrating their safe passage through the Red Sea. After being enslaved for over 400 years, God heard the cry of his people in Egypt working for Pharaoh, and he came to rescue them. God called a, a reluctant leader in Moses who gave all the excuses for why he shouldn't be the one that God would use. And yet God said, even in your weakness, I'm going to do great things. So trust in me, Moses, keep your eyes fixed on me. And what we saw was God came face to face with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and God won. With all his wonders and his miracles and his mighty power display, he redeemed his people. He freed chains and the of Egypt, and now they were on their way towards a new land, a new place where they would have a new identity as God's, more importantly, he When we began this study, we broke Exodus down into three sections, and to remind you of what those were, the first one begins with redemption. Redemption, we see in chapters 1 through 15, that's where we often in our study as we redeem his people. It's this incredible story. And and most people read up from chapters 1 through 15 with great excitement. What we find is that it's after chapter 16 and beyond where the interest starts to wane because this next section moves into instruction. This is where God starts to reveal his law. This is where the people find themselves, covenant people, and he points them in which they should live. He gives them instruction, the you should see that this idea of God's presence with his people is something that we just celebrated in the wonder of Christmas that God took on flesh that in him we might have life this is not a new story it's the story that God has been telling reminding his people that we are his he is enough the tail end of chapter five, into chapter 5 and I just saying of the rejection them. They were freed from Egypt, the bondage of their enslavery now gone. And now we see that although God has shown himself to be trustworthy, the Israelites are still not sure that he is enough. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Exodus fifteen twenty-two. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one in one of the seats right in front of you, and you can turn there alongside me as well. But we're going to begin in Exodus fifteen twenty-two. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness to drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? We are three days. Vision, looking to Moses, saying, What are we supposed to drink? There's nothing here for us. Now, there's a temptation throughout this story, through it, but to look at the Israelites and kind of look at them and be like, What's wrong with these people? Why are they always like this? Why don't they see what God's doing in, in front of them? But I always want to caution us because we're the same. We are the Israelites. I don't know if your family is anything like my family, but usually while we're still eating lunch, we are planning dinner. We're trying to figure out what we're going to eat next. The Israelites have now gone three days without water. There is some reason for concern here. Even though they've seen God do mighty things, they're wondering, can God really provide? He's shown up, but is there still more from what he has done? And so the question of what shall we drink comes from the Israelites' lips, but we've all asked it in different ways in our own life. Now, what I love about this moment is that we might expect God to be angry, that three days in, they're already complaining, they're missing the point of what he's done, they're missing what he's doing in front of them. We may expect him to push back. But, but I often think we, we expect God to do that because that's how we would react. Right? If, if we had just done something nice for somebody and they just kind of seemed to look past it, our reaction would be a little frustration. If you just saved somebody from a burning building and you handed them some water and they said, oh, it's tap water, I was hoping for sparkling water, you might be a little frustrated in that moment. But what we see is God react much different. Verse 25, the people have come to Moses and they're complaining and he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it in the water and the water became sweet. There's not even much of an interaction here. Moses goes to the Lord. I love that Moses doesn't try and fix this himself. He goes right back to the source and he's like, Lord, I can't, I can't do this. We need water. Can you do something here? And the Lord points him to a log. He takes the log, throws it in the water. And now this water that was bitter is sweet. This miraculous moment happens in front of the people. But again, what do we see God do? Does he just come down on the people? No, he provides for the people. And he doesn't just provide any kind of water. He provides sweet water for them. He provides something good for them. And then it continues, and it says, There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. See, in this moment, God has provided for them, but he's also making it clear to them. You need need to listen to me. That's what he's telling. You need to pay attention to my words. You need to follow after me. What I am providing for you is good. The way in which I'm pointing you to go is good, but you have to trust me. And he tells them, if you do what is right, not in their own eyes, but in his eyes, then he will not bring about the diseases and the destruction that he brought about on the Egyptians. And I love how he ends this because he wants to make a point here. He says, for I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, your healer. So step back just for a moment and let those words sink in. Because I think often we approach the Lord with fear. Now, there's, there's a good fear. There's a healthy fear. There's an awe and there's a reverence. But there's an also uh, an, an improper and unhealthy fear that we can approach God with. See, this is that fear when we come before him and or we try and avoid him because we think he's just out to get us or he's out to destroy us or he's out to trip us up or he's out to, to fail us or he only sees us through our failure. But God is doing something much different here in this moment. The people come to him grumbling and complaining and, and with need. And he says, trust me. Trust me. Listen to my words. Obey what I'm saying. And know that I am your healer. I am the great physician. I am the one who can heal not only your broken bodies, but your broken souls. He is telling the people in this moment to listen to him, to follow him. He's reminding them that he is Enough. And then, verse 27, it says this. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So they travel three days. They freak out because there's no water. And again, I'm not minimizing that because I haven't gone three days without water in a long time, and I probably would freak out too. But they go three days without water. The Lord provides for them water. And then it is just another way of kind of showing where I'm leading you. Because remember, he is leading them along. He is the one that is, they are following in this moment. He takes them to this place of Elam where there are 12 springs and there's 70 palm trees. These numbers all represent this idea of completion. It's this beautiful oasis that they go to where they can be refreshed and be reminded that God is with them and that he's not absent in, in this moment. He's foreshadowing the goodness that is to come, and he's giving them a small taste, but he's saying, you have to remember, I will provide for you. I am good, and I am enough. But still, three days into this journey, and we've already heard the kids in the back seat complaining, and now their voices are about to get a little bit louder as they start to ask the questions like, are we there yet, and where are we going? And so verse 16, or verse 1 of chapter 16 says this, They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. And on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, this means this is a month into the journey, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, they're a month in, complaining to Aaron and Moses, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They're a month in and they're already accusing Moses and Aaron that you've brought us out here just to kill us. You've brought us out here to die. Things were so much better back in Egypt. Egypt. Have you ever found yourself forgetful of God's present provision because you are busy glorifying the past? It's amazing how creative we can be in editing our past to poke holes in our present future. The people of Israel had begun to to reminisce. They began to think of the good old days. It wasn't that bad in Egypt. At least we had food. So what if Pharaoh was a a little demanding? He took care of us. Sure, he worked us tirelessly, but we always had job security, right? Like they they start going down this path. But what I love is that even in this moment where we would look and we look at it still and go, "What, what are you doing? God already had a plan and he already was planning to provide for them. And he comes in quickly and swiftly, for the Lord said to Moses in verse 4 of chapter 16, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. See, the Lord is already providing for them. He said, I'm going to rain bread down. You're going to have the provision that you need. And he's using this to test them. Now, when we think of testing, we think of it as a school situation. We almost think of a teacher back there who's just trying to give you trick questions to fail you. But God is using this, as we do even as parents today, to, to encourage their kids, to help them to grow, to help them to trust in who he is, to test them so that they could grow in their faith in him. And so he's saying, listen, I am telling you all that you need to know here. There's going to be no surprises. There will be food every day for you. Your job is to trust that that food will be enough for you and that you will go out and gather it every day. Don't try and take any more than you need. Just take what I prescribe to you, and this is the test that you begin to trust in who I am. And so Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Moses is really making a point here, isn't he? Because they keep coming to him. He's like, but you guys, you understand I'm just the middleman. When you're getting frustrated here, all the things that I've done is because God is working in and through me. When you're getting frustrated in this moment, you're not frustrated with me. You're frustrated with the Lord. You keep grumbling against him. You keep questioning whether or not he's enough that he can provide. Take this up with him. Don't you remember who he is? He's about to give you bread and bread and, and meat for you to eat. And you need to trust that. Verse nine, it says, then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. God has heard their grumbling and he's responding to it. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. I love this moment too, because God is telling him, I'm going to provide for you. But also, don't forget that I am with you as the glory of the Lord is shown in this cloud. He's reminding them that he had not left, that he was still guiding and he was still leading him, that he was still with them. And in verse 11, it says that the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. So say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. What he is saying in this moment is, You can trust me. I've got you. I'm taking care of you. I've freed you this far. I've done all these mighty acts. You can trust that I am present with you. God didn't have to do this. He didn't have to pay attention to their grumblings, and yet he does, and he provides for them. And in doing so, he's showing his grace and his provision to his people. He is treating them as any good father does. He's loving and caring for them in their need, even when their grumbling is coming at them, even when they are hangry, they haven't eaten, and they are so angry, and they're coming at him, he deals with them with patience and with kindness, and he says, I will provide. And what we see play out is miraculous. Verse 13, it says, in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them... It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord had commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer. An omer is about uh, a liter or so. So think of, or two liters actually. So think of like two liters of soda, a container about that big. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of the Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. So this whole thing is God is providing in this miraculous way as only he can. That there's this manna, this bread-like crust that's going to come from the ground. And in the evenings, he provides quail for them to eat in this moment. And so they have food, they have their provision, but there's still some restrictions around it, right? You're only supposed to take about an omer's worth, as much as one person can eat, and you're not supposed to hang on to it. You're not supposed to hoard it. You're not supposed to, to, to grab as much as you can. You're not supposed to cut in line to make sure you get yours and nobody else gets theirs. You're supposed to just take what God has provided for everyone because there is enough for everyone. And so what's the last thing in verse 19? It says, Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. The instructions were were very clear. The point is clear as well. God is providing for them and he's telling them exactly what they need to do in order to eat and in order to survive. He's taking out all the guesswork There should be no fear involved because if if they believe that God is trustworthy, then they should trust what he is saying and that he will provide like he's saying he will provide. And that there will be food and there will be more than enough for everyone. So take only what they're instructed to take. But don't try and save any more for the day because there'll be enough the next day. You don't have to worry. That's what he's saying over and over in this moment. But verse 20, the Israelites, again, act like the Israelites. And they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Some tried to keep more. Right? Some tried to hold some back because they just weren't sure. I mean, yeah, you can do this once, but I don't know if you can do this again. So I just want to make sure that I've got enough to eat for tomorrow. And so they, they grab onto it. I think there's such a mentality of scarcity that we see here, this, this fear that God is not big enough to provide for them, that he's not really uh, the one who can do what he's saying, even though he's, he's shown up in miraculous ways. You have to remember that they still have the residue of Egypt in them where they were fighting for everything, where they had a cruel taskmaster that was acting as their God over all of them and Pharaoh. And so that residue is still in them. God is trying to get that out of them. He's trying to say, I am different. I am a different God. I am the God who is over all things and I am good and I am kind and I am gracious and I am merciful, but I am also just and I can protect you and I can provide for you, but you have to trust me. But still, the people aren't trusting because they have this distrust built in their hearts. And so some hold on to more than they should have. And as a result, they get more than they probably wanted. And that this smell filled their home, their tent, and worms began to breed everywhere. This is a disgusting image as it should be. And Moses was angry in this moment. Verse 21. Morning by morning, they gathered it each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. God even had a way of taking care of the extra. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded tomorrow. And it is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until morning. Now he's telling them something different here, right? On the sixth day, bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, but, but set some aside... Right? He's, he's kind of messing with them, like don't set any aside. But on this day, set some aside. But, don't, don't, but this day, don't do it. But this day, do it. Right. He's trying to make sure they're really paying attention, that they're really trusting. He's setting in them this rhythm of trust as he's testing them and, and training them in the way in which they they should follow after him. And so they laid it aside until the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord, this day of rest. Today you will not find uh, any in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And again, God is showing the people that he is enough, that he can provide for them, that he's providing for them in these miraculous ways. And not only will he provide for each day, but he will provide extra on the Sabbath day that they don't have to gather food. God was setting apart this day. He was building in the people a rhythm and a dependence on Him. He's showing them that He can provide, that He will provide, and that He is enough. Now, this idea of Sabbath and this idea of, of resting and trusting that God will provide is, is one we're going to spend some more time in because we're going to hear this talked about over and over again in the book of Exodus, this day set aside for rest and not just binge-watching Netflix. It's a day of rest where we're, we're focused on what God has done for us and we're, we're resting and not trying to do His work for Him, but we're recognizing the work that He has done for us. It's a different kind of rest that we take in Him. And so we'll, we'll be exploring that more as we go. But verse 27 continues on this, and it says, On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Now, which day is this? It's the seventh day. Which day were they not supposed to go out and gather? The seventh day. They weren't supposed to go out and gather. And here, some people still show up on the seventh day. I can imagine them emerging from their tent, and they're like, oh. Oh trying not to like be too noticeable. But God had said, don't come out. You don't need to gather. And they're still there trying to get what? More, because they're worried there's not going to be enough. See, this disease takes a lot to get out of our hearts. It's built in there. It weaves itself in there. And God is trying to eradicate it from the Israelites. And he's saying, I am enough, but you have to pay attention. You have to trust me. You have to see that I am good. Again, we're going to look at this idea of Sabbath more, but, it, but we see this way that God is calibrating his people to build their rhythm and their dependence off of him. That he is the one that we can trust in, that we can formulate our very uh, work week around, our very daily dependence around, for he is in control. When we sleep at night, it's not as if all of a sudden the world stops. No, God is still over all things. And when we rest and we don't respond to email, he's still active and working for he is good and he is in control and he is reminding us that he's trustworthy and that he is enough. And then uh, this this chapter kind of closes with an interesting uh, uh, kind of bookend here. In verses 31 through 35, it ties up this this section, but it also kind of, it, it shows a, a little bit more to later generations explaining what was transpiring here. And so let me read it and I'll kind of explain what I'm saying here. Verse 31 says, now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Again, uh, When I think of a wafer made with honey, I think of something sweet and tasty. What we don't hear is that manna was not of good taste. We see God providing something worth eating, again, because he's good in his provision. But verse 32, Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout our generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to the habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And an omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Now, at the end of this, all this is doing is someone here, the author who's, who's put all of this together, is constructing and, and reminding everybody this is what this means. This is what happened here. And so this manna became a big deal. And so if you've ever seen what's inside the, the ark of the testimony, or if you've heard that it was there, or if you've seen when the priest would hold it up and show it, this is what it's referring to. They're making sure that anyone who read this at any generation would understand. Even that little add-on in verse 36, an omer is a tenth part of an ephah, means that an omer probably became a a unit of measure that wasn't really known, and so they were trying to explain even to them back then what this would have looked like and how much was to be gathered because they wanted to make sure we understood what was happening here. That this testimony was taken, that this omer of the manna was collected and put in the ark was was there as a reminder of God's provision. That it didn't spoil again was a reminder of God's miraculous provision. There's been a lot of different ways that people have looked at this story and they've tried to come up with kind of a scientific reason for how all of this could have taken place and why the quail were migrating in just such a way and and how the, 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 the ground had created something that was able to be eaten. But when you really start to peel this apart and you recognize that even if there's a scientific explanation to that, God was designing it in such a way that all of this was taking place under his control and providing for his people in a miraculous fashion, only he could. We can't miss the miracle of this moment and how he provided for them and that he would provide for them in 40, for 40 years, that they would be not having to worry about what they were gathering. For 40 years, God would make sure that they had food because he was a good father. And again, he's instilling in them that he is enough. Now, again, we're only a month in, right? Right? Like we're talking 40 years. I know we've got a lot of ground to cover, and, and they, they don't even realize it's going to be 40 years yet. We kind of get a sneak peek at that. Uh, but but they've got a long time, and already we have two stories. Three days in, complaining about water. Uh, a month in, they're complaining about food. And now we are we're back already to complaining about water in chapter 17. It just doesn't seem to stop. And all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses. No longer is it grumbling. Now they're quarreling. It's escalating in its effort with Moses and said, give us water to drink. It's not even a question now. It's not what will we drink. It's give us water to drink. They're becoming a little bit more hostile, a little bit more demanding. And Moses again said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirst there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. Moses, again, is the the brunt of all of this complaint as they come towards him saying, why did you bring us out here to die? What are you doing? We're not far into this journey and already it feels like it's an endless wasteland and we are just going to die. And so Moses goes before the Lord and he brings this complaint before the Lord. And then in verse 5, the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and the water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? See, they saw the miracles of Egypt. They had a a pillar guiding them. They had the very presence of God with them and they still, still had the questions of is the Lord among us or not? How often do we feel that very same question in our own lives and we have not experienced the redemption of Egypt? We've read about it, but we did not see those waters part. We did not walk through on dry ground. And we have the same questions that is brought before the Lord as the Israelites did. See, they would learn uh, over time that God was enough, but we see that very quickly they would then forget And then he would remind them and he would provide for them and he would show up only for them to forget once again. And we see this pattern throughout their lives and we see this pattern throughout our own lives. See, the problem is is that when we are in pain or when we feel any form of suffering... It tends to demand all of our focus. It becomes the lens through which we see all of life. And we forget that God is present with us. We forget that he is the healer. And we forget that he is enough. The only question that comes to our mind is, why aren't you here in this moment meeting my need? We focus on our our lack and what we don't see instead of what we have and the one who is with us. Now, I'm not pretending that this is easy, and I'm not even pretending to have a great answer for you this morning. This is very much the human experience that we all walk through. The Israelites experienced the miraculous, and yet they still have questions time and time again. They still wonder, is God going to show up for them? Is he going to be enough? And yet God shows up and provides for them with grace, with mercy provision he says i am trustworthy and i am true but you have to listen to my voice you have to believe what i'm saying you have to hold true to it for i am your good shepherd and in me you shall not want that's what god is trying to instill in them over and over again but the question for us may still be what what do we do with this How do we begin to live as though God is enough? See, I I think many of us in this room want him to be enough. We believe that he can be enough, but we don't often experience that he's enough. There's other things that have their hooks in us that that pull at us. And so I I would ask you to take some time to, to ask this question of yourself, to spend time with the Lord and say, is... Is he enough? Is he enough? And where you find him lacking, bring that before him. Do you believe that he is enough? Do you believe that he is your provider, that he is your healer? See, I I think there's there's a reason when Jesus was talking with his disciples and they asked him, "How, how should we pray? And he began to teach them. And one of the very things that he said to them was that they should pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Because I think Jesus was being very reali- realistic in this moment. He, he knew the condition of our heart that we would need to be reminded of God's provision every day. See, most of us would like to say, Lord, would you give us this year our bread? Lord, as we step into this next decade, would you... Show me exactly how you're going to provide for me for the next 10 years because it would just put my heart at ease and I would know what's coming. But no, the prayer is give us this day our daily bread. Give us enough for today. May we trust in him enough for today. Would you give us enough hope for today? Would you give us enough healing for today? Would you give us enough of your presence for today? And then tomorrow, when you begin a new day, you begin with gratitude for what is and what you've experienced and trust God for what will be. See, the Israelites were learning this rhythm as they were going along, and God is so patient and he is so kind with them, just as he is so patient and he is so kind to us. And so a couple of practices that I would encourage you to to start with. And the first one is this, begin with a breath. Begin with a breath. I know this isn't something new agey. This isn't something mystical. I'm just talking about when you begin with a breath, when you breathe, you recognize that there's air in your lungs. That That air is not something you provided. The ability to breathe is not something that you have to think about. God has done that. He's designed you in such a way that he has given us life. And so we begin with the recognition of that all life is a gift and the fact that we are here is a gift that he has given us. So we begin with a breath and we begin to work out from there and and come with gratitude for all the ways that God has provided for us. A a place to be. A a roof over our head. And now I know there's a danger because we can start to trail down that, well, it's It's not quite a big enough roof over my head. I would like a little bit nicer roof over my head. No, just start with the fact that you've you've got some protection. You've got walls around you. That you have life that he has provided for you. For he is good and he is trustworthy and he is enough. And begin with that breath and let it build from there. And then remember he is enough. See, we forget this all the time. We begin to chase other lesser things that we think will satisfy us in a way that is only designed to be met by him. And so we have to come back and we have to remind ourselves of the truth of who he is. And we use scripture to do this. And we come before him and we say, Lord, remind us that you are enough. My heart wants to wander. It is so prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. But God, would you take this heart of mine? Would you seal it? Would you remind me that you are enough? And when we begin with the satisfaction of him, we can start our day on the right footing because we know the second we walk out that door that there's a whole barrage of things coming at us that are telling us that he is not enough, that we are not enough, and that what we are trying to pursue in him is not good enough. So that's why we wake up the next day and we begin with a breath and we remember that he has given us this gift of life and then we're reminded that he once again is enough. He's enough. and he is good. Your faith in him is not misplaced. He is trustworthy and he is true. And what we see in these moments is just as God provided manna from heaven, this bread of life for his people, in Jesus, he has provided us the the true bread of life that satisfies us for all time. And just as God would provide water from the rock for his people, in Jesus, he has given us water the likes of which will quench our thirst for all time. See, God was showing the Israelites that he was with them and that he was enough. And in the same way, God has sent Jesus in order that we may know that he is with us and that he is enough. So what I would encourage you with this morning is whatever your heart is aching for, whatever more you are seeking, May you know that only in Jesus will you find enough. And in Jesus, you will find abundance and enough for all. This morning, we are going to conclude by coming to the communion table together. And I'd like to invite the worship team to come on up as we do that. Each month, it's our rhythm as a church that we come the, the first Sunday of every month and we, we grab the elements, the bread and the cup, and we're reminded of Jesus' body, which was broken for us, his his blood, which was shed on our behalf. And this morning, just so you know how we're going to do this together, we're gonna we're going to take these elements and we're going to spend some time in reflection and in worship. We're going to sing a song together before we actually come back and take of the elements together. But as we step into this new year, I can think of no better way than for us as a family to begin by coming to the table and remembering that Jesus is enough. That he is enough to overcome each of our sins, that he is enough to overcome each of our failures, that he is enough to overcome each of our fears, that he is enough to overcome each of our longings. That he is enough. He is enough. And so as we hold these elements in our hands, as we sing this song proclaiming that he is enough, I want you to bring to him whatever you are lacking, whatever you need, whatever you fear.